All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. As always, I have with me Alex Friedman. No compliment this time uh, because he's in the awkward stages of his hair. I am sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. Alex is a strength coach in Denver, Colorado. Today, we're going to be talking about to clean or not to clean. That is the question. So when we're talking about developing power with our athletes, when we're talking about that explosive pop, do we need to clean, power clean, do clean variations in order to get that triple extension? Or are there other, we'll say, variations or other exercises that we can do to get the same result without putting that much technical, I guess, prowess would be the right word, technical support on the line of teaching that actual technique of the Olympic lift. So Alex, take that shit away. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. My first thought when I listen to you say that is I don't know that there's one specific exercise in general that you need to do, right? So there's no, like, you absolutely have to do this in every program uh, type of exercise, especially for MMA or combat sports. That's not um, what I think of, or I think there's always adaptation that can get made and your training effects are not solely dependent on the modality of exercise that you choose. So you can develop power a ton of ways, you know, the Olympic lifting, the clean, that's one way to do it. And uh, I think based on the individual analysis, based on what you know as a coach and how competent you are in things, um, you make that individual decision for your team or for your athlete, whether or not you're going to go down this, this avenue of uh, Olympic weightlifting or chasing other ways of developing power, which all – well, I wouldn't say all, but there's a lot of different ways that have been, um, that have evidence backing them that there's, you can produce power through those modalities of training. Well, and talking, talking about Olympic lifting, we're, I mean, we are talking to clean or not to clean. So let's, let's specify, specify on the clean. There's a lot of technique that goes into teaching that lift, right? There's different phases. There's the pull, the different pulls throughout the lift, different hip drives, different catching areas. I know as well as you do being a former com- combat athlete, bro, I didn't give a fuck about my technique when I was in the college weight room. I was, when we were programmed in cleans, I'm, I'm just doing basically a reverse curl until I started learning about weightlifting and learned to use my hips and all these different, I guess, minute details of the clean. So a lot of the times when I see combat athletes, whether their coach wants to post the Instagram video because they do look cool, um, or they want to post the Instagram video on their on their PRs or whatever it may be. A lot of the times, I don't see a good clean. <laughs> I see basically a either a, a reverse curl, or I see a lot of shit going wrong with their knees, their hips, and their spine in general. Yeah, where they snap out to like a sumo stance to try and catch their clean, and and they're just exactly. barely holding it up with their elbows down right under the bar. Yeah. Um, and again, I mean, that, that goes into like how you do things as a coach. Like if you're, if you're not strict on enforcing proper technique and, and that's your prerogative, then that's not how we say, see eye to eye, or that's not how I agree, but, um, that's what they're posting or that's what they're putting out there. So, and I mean, that's a, a whole, I think different discussion is like, how do you teach to clean? Can you teach it competently? Can you get, uh, in a, a team of people or an individual into a good position with the clean, which is the first prerequisite to want to do the clean, right? Is like, can this athlete execute the clean in a safe manner? Anything that you can't execute in a safe manner, or you can't coach in a safe manner, or you can't implement in a safe manner, probably should not be doing it. Right. So that's where as a coach, you almost have to show your chops and you have to, you know, 
put yourself up on the line and and get these athletes to do things competently, take some ownership and uh, accountability for yourself. On it's not just the athlete screwing up the the exercise or, or doing whatever they're doing. It's how I've created the environments, how I've taught them to do that exercise, or what I've let go or what I haven't let go. Because if I let people clean and like they're at they're cleaning 250 and it looks like crap, but I'm celebrating because it's 250 pounds of clean. That's awesome. Then you know, technique's not the most important thing or, or, or the safety of, of the movement isn't running the show. Right. And two, two points. One, it comes down to functional capacity, which we talk about. Every, oh, I feel like we talk about every podcast to be completely honest with you. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, but it comes down to what has the highest transference into sport, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. not maximal output. It's the highest output that you can get with good form. Yeah. If you don't have the motor recruitment to keep good form, you're guess what? You're not going to be able to use that under that excessive stressed time in the cage, on the mat, whatever it may be. The second one, which is an argument that I've seen on the depths of Instagram and Twitter hell, literally just ghosting and looking through all the little coach fights. That's where you live, Austin. That is that is your home playing field. Dude, yeah. I, I just, I look up different arguments just to see what I can argue. I, I don't ever comment, but I look at the other arguments to see how people pose their questions. And then I just read it and I'm like, oh, you're both wrong. That's the, <laughs> that's the best. When both people are, are wrong, like very, very wrong. Anyways, I've seen this come up a lot, like talking about specifically for this case, talking about do combat athletes need to clean? And somebody made a, what would be considered a decent point, I would say, is that, well, if you don't want to teach your combat athletes to clean, is that's on you by being a lazy coach. Like that's you being lazy, not wanting to teach the technique. And I say it's a decent point because, I mean, they're not wrong, but at some point you need to, you need to talk about, does the athlete want to clean? Is the return on investment there to teach the highly technical Olympic lift or can we go to one exercise that I use a whole bunch and I know we're going to get into different variants, but one I use a whole bunch is going to be the trap bar jump shrug, which accomplishes basically the exact same goal. If we're talking about power development, talking triple extension all the way through the bot or all the way through the lower extremity um, and trunk control without any sort of shoulder positioning, any sort of axial load on the spine, any sort of these different, I guess, catching mechanisms because the catch is typically where shit goes wrong. Uh, any sort of this stress on the body that has to be highly technically taught. It's just up, down, triple extension up, triple extension down, and you can load it up and not have to worry about where they catch it, how they catch it, or trying to get the weight above their midline. No, I think that's a beautiful point. And I think uh, the trap or jump shark is definitely one of that most modalities that we'll dive into. Um, I probably wouldn't use the word lazy. Uh, I, wouldn't, I would say you're making a decision for sure. Um, and hopefully it's an educated and a, a well-backed decision. You know, if you have no history in the, uh, in the clean or the Olympic lifts, then, and you don't want to use those as your power model daily, that's an easy decision. Or if you have an athlete that, you know, got hurt doing the clean previously and they have a bad, uh, connotation with it, then that's another informed decision. And again, I would just say it's making decision, not necessarily being late, which maybe some people are being lazy, but, um, going off that, I think. Just like you said, some of the technical aspects of the clean are difficult to teach and difficult to master. And it's definitely more of a system based movement. So if you're going to implement the clean, there's a few steps beforehand that you should implement, that you should uh, prepare your athlete to have success 
with the clean. So a few of those things, and I've, I've touched on um, one of my recent Instagram posts. Um, if you're going to have your athlete catch a power clean or catch a clean, establish a great front squat first. That's going to teach them a great loaded position, um, the ability to have the bar rest on their shoulders, not in their hands, um, and they can get more reliant on that front squat to catch the weight to rapidly eccentric load. And I think that's a huge key to cleaning up some of those awkward catches or the, the poor looking things. Um, so establish a good front squat. Um, we baby step it where I'm at right now. We, we use a dowel to hit our landmark positions and then we start to an empty barbell and then we slowly ramp up into an actual clean pull. We do use some Olympic derivatives to um, teach our way into the clean and Olympic derivative is simply a partial movement of the clean. So if you're thinking about the clean pulling from the ground, when you pull, you're sending the knees, sending the hips, getting to that triple extension. And then for a clean pull, I'm not worried about getting the bar over my shoulders and catching it. I'm just going to let it go once I've hit that triple extension. And that would be a clean pull, um, which those derivatives have caught a lot of wind in the research and have been shown to produce power similar or better than uh, an actual hand clean or an actual um, clean. So implementing those derivatives can teach, you know, the first half of the movement and then uh, kind of dropping under and catching. That's your second half of the movement. You establish a good front squat. Uh, and this for me is a progression that's going to take some time, right? It's not like, all right, week one, front squat, week two, clean pull, week three, clean and rock bottom. Like that, that's not how it goes. You need to adapt based on what you're seeing from your athlete, based on their competence and their ability to extend their hips and actually clean because um, if you haven't taught the clean before teaching a clean with light weight <laughs> is extremely difficult. Yeah. Get yeah. people like Austin throwing the weight over their head and jacking up their chin. Um, Fuck yeah. As they Why try not? to back curl and catch the weight. Yeah. That was the hallmark of me in college <laughs> throw 60 pounds on there, just throw 10, 65 pounds so tens on each side and fuck it let's get it above the head right and again it's it's a timing and a coordination based movement so using those light weights are are hard to execute correctly especially if you're new to the clean but for somebody that might be experienced to the clean or, or done the clean before using light light weights like that is a great uh technique check for me so if I have an athlete that's come into the weight room and they say, yeah, uh, at my high school, we did a lot of power cleans and I'm pretty good at that movement. I was like, okay, let's hit this 95 pound power clean. Let's see, see if you can moderate the speed of the bar, your catch and everything like that. It's a good technical check to see, or are you pulling with your arms? You know, what's going on when you do lightweight? Yeah. And I think another good thing that you can do if, if you do want to teach the clean, if you've decided to go down that route is positional isometrics are going to be an awesome way to help clean up any sort of form, right? We know that from motor control, that if the brain can connect to the muscles in a certain position, then you're going to be able to clean up the form. So if you throw them in a ISO hold in a front squat, ISO hold, if they're having trouble with the shoulder positioning in the catch, throw them where they're having the trouble with it. So at the bottom, hold that ISO with proper shoulder positioning, and then do that for whatever, eight, 10, 12 seconds, a large isometric to get that brain to muscle connection. And then we can jump out of that. And we do that to work on that stick point, just as every other lift that we do or in for the rehab professionals out there for most of the rehab that you start with, it all starts with brain to muscle and getting the coordination back or there for the first time. Absolutely. Um, and I'm curious too, because I, Austin, I know you're deep into the DNS 
And remind me, you went to an Olympic lifting specific DNS course, correct? Uh, just just weightlifting. It was weightlifting in general, um, okay. but it did it did go over power. It they didn't go over the technical clean and jerk. We did a lot more powerlifting versus Olympic lifting, because okay. um, that that was the teacher's background. He worked a lot more. He worked with the West Side Barbell guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I have had talks with him personally about the different Olympic lifts because he's yeah, a, he, he himself is a CrossFitter. Yeah. Do you have or any ex, little nuggets? Ex-crossfitter. Do you have any little nuggets or any uh, oversight from a DNS type of perspective into uh, implementing the clean or? What yeah. No. Um, yeah. When I've talked with Rich about it, the, the biggest thing that he taught that he says is what we've already been preaching. And that that's who I got the, the concept of functional capacity from, was from that seminar in general. If you can't maintain your power barrel, as me and Alex lovingly call it, uh, you, you there's you have no like you have no right to be trying to clean the weight. If you can't yeah. hold your power barrel at the bottom of a squat and breathe not just into the front, not just into the sides, but also into the back and not just rely on your lumbar extensors, you're not even there yet. You can't generate power without just using your lumbar extensors. Why are you trying to generate power with a lot of fucking weight attached, (laughs) which most people try to do? The other thing, which we see a lot is DNS has talked about the concept of joint centration. That's when the maximal surface area between one part of the joint to the other. So think about the hip, which is a big, obviously the big one for our Olympic weightlifting. If we can't get to maximal muscle recruitment, if we can't get to maximal surface area, which is joint in neutral, a lot of people can't get there. We can't have a comfortable bottom of the squat. So if A, we can't breathe into the back and B, we can't get that actual surface area of femur on acetabulum, which is our FA joint, our hip joint, then we are already setting ourselves up for failure. In the most part, I would say, unless you're an Olympic weightlifting athlete, you're not going to be comfortable there unless you train at the bottom of the squat and focus on, all right, foot loading, check, hip positioning, check, breathing, check, shoulder positioning, which is also involving centration. You're not getting the pinchy effect, check. If you can't check all those boxes, kind of like an SFMA type style, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, then I I personally, after learning about this type of stuff, that's why I don't teach the Olympic weightlifting aspect of it. That's why that's why I would rather do the variations that we're going to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a it's a great point to kind of launch us into some of the other options for power training. But um, that is a high, uh, I think, a high ranking reason why a coach might opt out of the Olympic lifting, the clean or um, the snatch or any of that other stuff is because there are such high prerequisites for the athlete to hit, to get into those positions and then actually get gain benefit and execute the clean. Um, all the prerequisites Austin talk about, plus you have to go through a learning stage and it, for an athlete to get good at the clean or to a respectable weight where they're actually going to be producing the power or we need the clean. Um, I don't know. It might take two, three months, right? So that's, that's more investment into the lift than, you can use, you know, a week or two and you might have some of these other variations or modalities uh, down pat and we can start getting better right away. So that's another specific individual uh, atmosphere, specific individual scenario that the coach needs to factor in. Well, and we can, I, I also make the, not correlation, the, the comparison to an astagrass squat. It's a very similar, like think about the catch of the cleans, very, if you're catching it low, 
it's a very similar position. Does every single athlete need to get to ass to grass? Well, I mean, yes or no. I don't believe so. I, I personally think that you can train hip mobility in different ways and not focus on that. But the same thing applies with the DNS concepts. If they can't get there comfortably, if they can't get below 90 and maintain close, like we talk about perfect as a range, yeah. right? It's, it's not a set position. I personally think that you should train that functional capacity to get down there before you have them start repping shit out. And that's, that's, that's the same exact concept. I think about the clean, same exact concept. I think about the snatch, same exact concept. I think about everybody's favorite, the barbell deadlift, which we've already talked about that. I'm not a big fan of unless we're modifying it. But yeah. And I, I completely agree that, um, you're always working towards that goal. You know, like, like if I have an athlete in front of me that their optimal squat is not as to grass or their optimal squat is maybe, you know, thighs parallel or they have some type of limitation, we're still going to try and healthily push into that squat, uh, down the road or chip at it way by way. I would like in my ideal world, I would like the athlete to be able to squat down there. And I, I know it's not going to happen practically a lot of the times, but we can take steps and work towards that. Can, call on me. Call on me. Oss is going to gonna say something here, and I think he's going to disagree with me. I'm going to strongly disagree with you. So to get anatomical on us here. So uh, a graduate, I know, I know, shake your head all you want. <laughs> a graduate of my school, he, he's done a bunch of talks for NASM and all this. His name's Ryan DeBell, the movement fix guy. Um, he was big in the CrossFit world for a little bit. So he actually did his master's thesis on hip and uh, anatomical variations. And so like everybody talks about Stu McGill, BackFit Pro, all these different things and how they talk about the Polish fit skip or hips versus the Scottish hips. And Ryan actually went in and did cadaveric research on the different hip socket and different hip orientations, not just of where you're from and your, your genetics and your ethnicity, but also just people in general, right? So didn't know where they're from, just looking at 20 cadavers in a row and looking at their hip orientation. Every single one of these hips joints were completely different. So the depth of the actual joint was different. The anatomical femur head was different. Uh, The length of the shaft is different. All of these aspects that play together tell me that not everybody was meant to get Astagrass. And that's that's also another big reason why personally, Astagrass squats, catching up a clean, all these different things. Bro, if if you have your, well, just think about the cartilaginous structure. Say we got a labrum in the way, like they have an excessive labrum that's too, too far. So it's a very deep, uh, hip socket. You ain't getting ass to grass, bro. <laughs> that's going to pinch that that's going to cause FAI, all of, all of these different, uh, injuries, if you will. So I, I will, I will concede that the goal is to get people there, but for, I, I just don't like talking in absolutes. And I'm, and in my clarification on my own point, I, I wouldn't say ass to grasses and we need to get everybody to the you know rock bottom. I would say, get them to their, their own optimal rock bottom. Yeah. Right. So I want to get a person as low as they can possibly go without pain symptoms, without um, different problems getting in the way, but I still want somebody to feel comfortable in a low squat. How low can you go? How low can you go? You're awful. So finding that <laughs> optimal range, I think, is a, a, a touch and a nuance rather than just forcing everybody to rock bottom. Um, yeah. What's some? Uh, what's what's your favorite clean variation? 
So sticking with the Olympic lift. So one of the derivatives. If I have a trained athlete in front of me that I'm comfortable with and I know knows the clean and can uh, perform it and execute it um, well, I would do a full clean. So from the ground all the way to a clean and a rock bottom squat and then front squat up. Um, again, checking all those boxes, making sure that the athlete is experienced and comfortable and and uh, can work through all those safely. Um, that would be an ideal for me. But same as the Astagrass squat. I rarely ever get there. I would like athletes to get closer and closer as they train with me. But in, in a reality, they may not. So that's where some of the diff- variations. That so you didn't answer me. You asked what's your me fa- what my- what's- What's your favorite derivative? Oh, I thought you were saying just in general. What was if we had, if I had to use Olympic lifting, my favorite derivative, um, probably a clean pull. Just, I mean, just straight up uh, pulling. And we usually have our guys pulling off six inch blocks or pads um, okay. just to, you know, help with the starting position and everything like that. But clean pull. Um, and I teach that as a lift off and then a kind of a hip thrust triple extension. Uh, and then when we get better at it, we kind of mold them all together and it's almost a modified deadlift. But, uh, but yeah, clean pull, just straight up pulling from the ground, complete extension, let the bar go crash to the ground. Nice. What about you? Personally, I like the hang pull, okay. like clean hang clean pull, just because I <sighs> teach the tensioning of the lats in a different way. I'd rather teach it from a trap bar just because it keeps the shoulders in neutral. Okay. So for me personally, I just, I already <sighs> have, I take that first pull of the movement out of the way and then just do it straight from the hang. And that also allows me to I personally I think I can throw, I can throw more weight on the athlete's bar so it can make it more of a strength movement. It's, it's a power movement, but like a strength speed movement versus a speed strength movement. All right. So it's almost like a, like a powerful RDL. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just, just training that second pole is going to be that, that hip drive is going to be what for me, I see the biggest bang for my buck. If I am going to do any sort of clean based derivative. Right. I agree with that. Um, and then a good point into that is, uh, I would probably have selected a jump shrug, favorite one, but if I'm ever going to jump shrug, I'm just going to do it with a trap bar. I, I wouldn't necessarily do right. a jump shrug with a barbell. I think that's a little more awkward for the athlete. And there's time and place, but I think a jump shrug with a, a trap bar is a lot um, easier to teach, a lot easier to implement and get more. Well, so let's talk about the trap bar jump shrug. Um, okay. So a trap bar jump shrug is going to be from a trap bar. I know, funny enough. Uh, we're going to load everything up. We're going to start at the bottom of the movement. So we're starting in that trap bar deadlift and we're going to essentially do all of the same steps minus the catch. Like we've talked about getting that triple extension, of the legs, getting that power development. Um, but just taking out the vulnerable shoulder positions as well as the potential for a wide catch, which we see knee injuries and hip injuries come up, rised or arose from, I guess is the, the right word arisen yeah it's arisen um so it takes out the most of the perceived threat of catching with a knee valgus um, because it's a lot more tighter it's a lot tighter of a movement as well as it takes away the shoulder mobility deficits on the catching aspect because you don't have to worry about getting the bar all the way up you're just going all the way up getting that jump shrug so we're shrugging at the top and then dropping back down yeah i think and i think a a worthy point anytime we talk about barbell versus trap bar is the you know the biomechanic starting position or the biomechanic deficits that that are different just point blank from using a a trap bar versus a barbell barbell is going to be a little more hip dominant your knees are limited in how far forward they can go so you're going to by default use uh your hips and your posterior chain a little bit more which is another 
prerequisite. You have to be able to do that very consciously and very controlled. If we're going to go into the clean, um, it's a little easier on the chat bar as you get a little more knee loading, a little bit more um, help from the anterior part when you're going into that trap bar jump shrug. So uh, it's a little more squatty, but again, I don't think that's a huge consideration enough to go back to a, a barbell for the jump shrug. But I think that's something to think about that if you're going to use the trap bar exclusively or, or cut out your, your barbell pulls from the ground or whatever, you need to add some, you know, supplemental posterior chain work in some capacity. Well, and also Alex makes a fantastic point that this is more of a, it's, it's squatty, but it's hingy. It's, it's that hybrid position. Um, and there's, there's actually been research related, not, not power movements or so bringing it back to strength movements, talking about the difference between a front squat, trap bar deadlift and a deadlift. And as far as increasing athletic qualities, so increasing your jump, your, your vertical jump, your broad jump, um, as well as one other that I'm blanking on right now. That was in the, the study that I read. The trap bar deadlift is actually superior to a front squat and a barbell deadlift because of the joint positioning, because it's that hybrid position that is more of an athletic stance versus that full-on hinge or that full-on squat. Um, so I don't know. You, you have some research next to you. I don't know if you saw that study on there. But um, not specifically, I do know um, that the jump shrug in general, uh, you get a little bit higher peak power and a little bit more wattage than uh, if you're worrying about like a strict hand clean. So yeah, jump shrug. I don't I don't see right now. I don't have anything that compares. Uh, oh, it was uh, a counter. It was a counter movement jump as well. So it was actual like actual vert as well as counter movement jump, as well as a uh, broad jump. Yeah, so so um, but anyways, <clears throat> where was I going with this? We're talking about trap bar jump shrugs and shoulder um, positioning. Oh, I, I got it. Boom. Strength, hybrid, hybrid movement. So talking about a hybrid movement for all the clinicians out there, if somebody has low back pain, right? Anything that's going to be less posterior chain. So non-specific low back pain in general. So most of the time with non-specific low back pain, there's going to be a increase in tonicity in the paraspinals of the low back, the lumbar erectors. If we don't need to increase the posterior chain activation on already spasmed muscles. Why the fuck are we doing it? So if you're in performance care, if you do something similar to what I do, where you pair up strength and, and uh, rehab as well, and you want to train the individuals, you're going to have a lot higher or a lot better outcomes with any sort of nonspecific low back pain. If you're using this trap bar setup, versus a clean setup if you have to then also train a power quality. So we all know in healthcare, right? You don't want to train through pain, all these different things, but say a, say a fighter's fighting in three weeks and they got back pain. Guess what? You got to deal with it, but you also got to train them for power too. It sucks to say, but you can't, ju- you can't just get rid of it. So could you train around it? Of course. Could you just focus on mobility? But for me, I'm always going to choose the trap bar jump shrug because that sets me up for a higher likelihood of success and a higher likelihood of not exacerbating their symptoms. Similar point, just from more of a strength coach perspective is, is when you have an athlete in front of you that has the, you know, tonal position, maybe a, um, anterior shifted pelvis, stuff like this. We don't need to necessarily train what's already strong there, right? You don't need to emphasize what is already stabilizing and then compound into this poor stabilization strategy that they may or may not have. So if I have an athlete that's extremely um, extended through their low back and 
that's just their natural posture. I may not need to throw them on a reverse hyper. I may not need to have them do, you know, prone Superman type of things. Um, I can do other things to attack maybe their weaknesses in their stabilization strategy that can do more benefit and get them moving better rather than compiling strength on a bad pattern. So um, I think that's a worthwhile mention just in the strength world too, is that with the athlete in front of you, think of what's the best exercise based on their specific movement in general, not just based on your philosophy and ego of everybody needs to back squat or everybody needs to do this. Um, that gets overplayed. So Alex, talk a little bit about the, instead of barbell cleans, instead of barbell Olympic lifts, let's talk about kettlebell and dumbbell variations of the same triple extension, the same lifts, but breaking it up from barbell to, I guess, unilateral. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, I mean, there's again, tons of different modalities and ways to train this, this loaded power type of paradigm or the explosive strength and peak power type of movements. Kettlebell swings are a huge go-to and for whatever reason, uh, whether it be Pavel or whatever, kettlebells exploded with MMA and combat athletes. Um, so I would strongly emphasize, you know, kettlebell swing as a great ulterior to produce power uh, in a loaded fashion. Um, I Go Can I stop you for one second? Just yeah. because I made a post about this and I already made my thoughts on this today. Um, so I love the kettlebell swing for combat athletes in particular because it trains that double pulse effect that we know from Stu McGill's research on elite MMA athletes. So when elite MMA athletes are striking or grappling, whenever they're we're generating force and transmitting force, there needs to be a maximal trunk recruitment. Then there's a relaxation to increase the velocity, whether you're shooting, punching, kicking, whatever it may be towards your opponent. And then max rigidity once you make contact with whatever the fuck you're trying to go through. A kettlebell swing is that exact same scenario on your bracing. You're at the bottom. You got to generate force out of the hole to get the kettlebell moving up. Then as the kettlebell is moving up, you need to relax or else you're just going to a look like an idiot because you're just going to look like a fucking army, army ranger, not army ranger, the GI Joe, like, like a toy. Um, but then once you get your arms kind of swinging, once you get those to be fluid and you learn how to relax the entire system as it's traveling through space at the top of the bell swing so that you don't break your form so that you don't arch through the mid back or low, sorry, through the low back or improper shoulder positioning, then you need to stop the bell at the top. Guess what? Transmitting your trunk rigidity through at the top, forcing that stop and then coming all the way back down. So it's developed force let the force go developing velocity and then stop the force or transmit rigidity to then force the bell in this case, or the punch kick strike, whatever it may be into the opponent or bell going down. That's why I love kettlebell swings. And that's why I love that as a power development, even though it's not going to be as much triple extension, kind of uh, it's, it's going to be power development or hip development. Have you ever implemented a kettlebell swing where your athlete pops up onto their toes? No. Why wouldn't you? Honestly, I just never done it. I haven't thought about it because I, whenever I think about a kettlebell, I think about rooting the feet, like good old Pavel. Yeah. So yeah, I've used that, uh, that modification of the kettlebell swing a couple of times. Um, as maybe a progression or, or another a way to get a little more pop, a little more power through it. Um, again, you have to have a competent athlete that can center their self in the middle of a kettlebell swing and put their feet back down. Yeah. So that's a high training requirement, but, um, but no, I like that variation too, popping up onto your toes, getting all the way through it. I think I read about that in a, in a Dan John book. He's done a lot with Pavel too. 
Um, kettlebells are great implements to use. Um, and then I would go to just jumping period, uh, any type of jumps that you're doing, um, and adding load or not adding load. Talked about the trap bar jump shrug. We can do a lot of, uh, movements with that, with the trap bar, you can load it up and down the force velocity spectrum, which is another benefit of that over, uh, Olympic clean. Um, it's hard to do that up and down the force velocity curve. Um, it's kind of stuck in its own position, but trap bar, you can load up and down force velocity curve and then just jump as high as you can go. You can hold dumbbells right at your sides, same as a trap bar and do jumps with those vertical. Uh, Honestly, I do. I do those at the end of camp a lot more so that we can decrease the load or we can decrease the actual intensity of the movement, but still allow them to get that pop with a little bit of extra load. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then that, that goes into tapering and getting into more speed, right? Because you can, uh, obviously just use, you know, 20 pound dumbbells and that's less than the trap bar itself. Uh, something I like to do towards that piece of camp or towards the end of a peaking phase, do that trap bar jump shrug, but then just drop it at the top and have no eccentric loading coming back down. I think that that's a, a benefit too. Um, what, where else was I going? Med balls, another great power implement to use. Um, hard to get super heavy obviously with the med balls but still can develop a lot of power where they're jumping with med balls slamming with the med balls throwing um and that med balls for me open up a lot more planes of movement than some of the other uh implements that keep you rather stagnant in the sagittal plane so med balls get that piece of the puzzle going um which is another great implement. And then the last thing I wanted to say was in relation to how heavy you're loading your power implement or you're going. Like I said, trap bar, uh, you can load up on the force velocity curve. You can put a lot of weight on it and still do a power movement with it. Um, but I do think that specifically is where the clean does the best job. If you can nail the technical parts and you can hit those prerequisites is if you can confidently and competently execute a heavy power clean or heavy clean, that's where it's the most useful is that high spot on the force velocity curve because it, it will give you the most peak power with the highest intent getting the bar up onto your shoulders. Um, that being said, you have to go through all the stuff at the bottom to get there. So that's the trade-off that you you see um, using that those, those different movements. So to wrap up, Alex, to clean or not to clean? In the right situation. For most combat athletes, I would say not. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. I know. Austin just wants me to say what he wants me to say. Well, no, I just want a general statement. If you say it depends, I'm going to just look at you like, But it does depend. I don't care. I want a soundbite that we can put on Instagram. It depends isn't that one. You are the bane of my existence. (laughs) You're the... (laughs) God. I want everybody else to put their judgment on Austin because I... I want you to be controversial so I don't have to. (laughs) Controversy sells, right? Yes. Anyways, I agree with Alex because he said it first. For for the most part, to clean or not to clean, I vote not to clean. There's way too many other options that we can do to go after the same result. And if if there's that one or two percent, like I completely agree with Alex at the end, where it's perfect for that little niche at the top of the force velocity curve. But if that's all we're training, uh, spending all that fucking time on teaching the technique for, well, I feel like we, I don't know if return on investments there, to be honest 100%. with you. But where I do see that niche coming into play, where I think that's really important is American football, right? You have in collisions all the time. You need to stabilize your body, create rigidity through that collision, which is a sudden impact, same as catching a clean. It's a sudden increase in load on your shoulders. So American football, there's probably a place for the clean, 
within a good system within teaching it correctly. And as we know, American football, at least in America is kind of the father of strength and conditioning. That's where it all started. Um, so I think that's had the trickle down effect. That's why the clean is so rampant, um, through all of our sports performance and everywhere else. And that's why it seems like we're rebelling against by not doing the clean, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of the historical significance of the clean. Always got to get cultural on me, man. I like Always it, man. Always got to get cultural on me. It's way more, imp- way more interesting to me than your electro whatever magnetic stuff. The fuck is electromagnetic stuff? I meant to say. Am I a magnetic healer now? Am I a woo-woo doctor? I was talking about your objective studies. Uh, yeah, anyway. Never mind. It might be. <laughs> I don't know. On that note, <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening. As always, like, share, subscribe, do all the cool stuff. Um, the more that you share or like or rate, the more we get to talk and the more people we get to talk to. Um, if you guys have any questions, if you want to throw hate mail at us or just in general disagree, I'm always down to have a civilized discussion. Hit us up at our emails or our Instagrams that are going to be in the show notes as well as you can hit us up and we can both answer at the Building a Fighter Instagram page, which we've mentioned in the past two podcasts. We are going to try and take off. Uh, so we're going to be posting on that a lot more, giving you guys some educational content on our Instagram page. So be sure to give that a follow if you don't already. That's where we're going to be posting all of our research studies that we bring up and some just what's a continuing education based uh, posts. So as always, thank you for listening. It's Dr. Austin. Alex Freeman. And we are out. Out.